As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you're stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working. Open curtains. Haters swerving because they ain't ready for your final version. Oh, I'm never you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's a pleasure again to kind of be with be, be with everyone. And my guest today is Charlie Grady, and you're going to find out about Charlie and hang time and his involvement with uh, protective services and really his his commitment to life. We're going to talk a little bit about his his uh, artistic and 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 fashion and and uh, media background and I, I mentioned that because he's going to really be specific about his particular titles and he had a great event last night up in in Hartford with his partners and his supporters and his team but life oft oft times it's whatever state you may want to you may not think that you're an actor but Shakespeare I think says it so well about all the world's a stage and we really are sometimes we act but can we act with authenticity and transparency and, and sincerity and Charlie has been acting, quote unquote, with transparency and authenticity and sincerity, regardless of the stage or the badge that he wears or the, or the, or the purpose that he has. But, but uh, uh, be, before I get into that, I just wanted to make an announcement that many of you might know of Reverend uh, Calvin Butts, the uh, long-term uh, minister at Abyssinian Baptist Church in New York. Uh, Abyssinian, of course, is known as the church that Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Uh, also pastored in Adam Clayton Powell's uh, father, but Reverend Butts has passed away, and I like to kind of lift up people's names from time to time, Charlie, just for us to re realize how every moment is a blessing, every day is an, is is a present. It's the the, the 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 linear present, but it's also the present, the present and the gift of life. So I just want to kind of mention to send our condolences to the family, if you know of anyone or any members at Abyssinian, but really just the world, just appreciate this moment. Charlie, uh, I was kidding before we came on air that I was surprised you could even keep your eyes open this morning because you had a great event last night up in Hartford. So share a little bit about that. And I think that'll kind of help uh, anchor people in terms of why we're doing this show uh, yeah. and just kind of illustrates and epitomizes your commitment. So, so first, before I even speak on that last night, uh, I want to thank you, Tom Ficklin, for all that you do. Uh, you have been a staple in the community for years, as far back as I can remember, and the work that you do and the awareness that you bring to the, to the public is, is amazing. And you just have this very, very calming, smooth delivery on, on facts and circumstances, and you give everybody a reason to think. And just that, that phrase that you said about you know, lifting each other up. Uh, you do it every show, every time, uh, whether you're on the air or not. So I want to thank you sincerely for what you do. So I, pre I appreciate that. And I'll be sure my wife hears that comment after, at, the, at the end <laughs> of the show. So, so, so carry on. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll call her for you. There you uh, go. But so, so yes. So let, let me talk about last night. Uh, last night was absolutely amazing. Far exceeded my expectations. We, and when I refer to we, I'm talking about the hang time conglomeration of programming here in Connecticut. Um, we have the hang time program, we have the hurt time program, we have a new program that deals with youth called Choices in the community. But last night was a highlight for our program called Connecticut Hall of Change. Mm -hmm. This is a program that I started in 2019 with the help of some incredible community partners, uh, CPA, uh, Career Resources, uh, Connecticut State Museums, Arts and Preservations, mm -hmm. as well as 
get this one, the Department of Corrections. They mm. are a they are a partner in the Connecticut Hall of Change mm-hmm. and an active partner. And, and uh, the, the interaction that we're having with, with DOC has just been amazing. But for those that don't know, Connecticut Hall of Change is um, a program that we created that highlights and honors individuals that have come home from incarceration, mm-hmm. have been home for, for five years or more, and have done significant things to impact and their communities. Oftentimes, the communities that they once created havoc in. So each year, only eight individuals throughout the state of Connecticut get inducted into an actual state museum here in Connecticut, mm, mm. a Newgate Copper Mill and Prison Museum, one of the oldest prisons, if not the oldest prison in the country, mm-hmm. uh, where, where they housed people underground. But now, when you walk in the front lobby of this museum, you will see the significance of how far we've come in our systems and our humanity, because you walk in and you will see the faces of members of the Connecticut Hall of Change grade eight. So each year, eight individuals from throughout the state get inducted. Uh, there's a big ceremony that happens. And this year it happened on 9-11 uh, mm. up in Hartford at the Hartford Theater Works. Big shout out to Hartford Theater Works, they're amazing. Um, and so because this program has been going on now since 2019, we decided we're gonna try to do something a little different. Thanks to one of our committee members of the Hall of Change named Jeremy Brewer. Mm -hmm. Brewer, Jeremy Brewer is a young um, Caucasian police officer in Hamden. Mm -hmm. And he dedicates his time, his off-duty time to working with the Connecticut Hall of Change and helping the community understand that the Second Chance Society is truly a part of what we do every day and, yeah. and deserves to be engaged in what we're doing. So he came up with the idea of doing an annual comedy night fundraiser. Mm. And Tom, when I tell you last night, it's been a long time in the works, but we had the absolute best time. And as I said in the beginning, far exceeded my expectations. There was over 150 people, more like 175 people mm. at the uh, Artist Collective in mm-hmm. Hartford. Mm-hmm. Having a beautiful space, you know, this was my yeah. first time being there. And we had two local comedians, uh, Darren and uh, I, Alyssa, I believe her name is. Um, and the nationally recognized headliner was Ali Sadiq. Mm-hmm. And people came in in droves and we did a big raffle. We had all kinds of incredible items for raffle that were donated so that we could make money for a youth scholarship. Mm. And in the name of justice involved students that through no fault of their own um, have been impacted by the mm-hmm. criminal justice system, mm-hmm. whether it be through their, their, their parent, grandparent, um, uh, a guardian. And so those individuals that are sticking with their academics and have been accepted into their first year of college, those individuals mm. have to write an essay it's an academic essay contest. The winners of the contest, which there will be six, six mm. winners of the contest, they have to write in their essay what, how they were impacted by the criminal justice system and incarceration. And they also have to include in their essay what they plan to do with their college degree to help mm. change the cycle and break the cycle of incarceration in urban communities and across 
neighborhoods across the, the country. Mm-hmm. So those six individuals will receive a $1,000 scholarship wow. to, to help with books and incidentals uh, just to get them started off in their college career. So last night was the first annual comedy night fundraiser for mm. the Connect All the Change. And I'm here to tell you, brother, it was, how do kids say, off the chain, off the hook, <laughs> lit. I don't know, I don't know which one is mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. You name mm-hmm. it, that it was people laughed so hard they were crying. And uh, we raised some money for an incredible cause. So I, I'm still on a little bit of a high right now, Tom. Keep, so. keep, keep, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going, keep the, the, the positive thinking. And there's so many, there's so much research about, you know, giving and how that kind of really makes your body feel good. I mean, you've seen those psychological studies of giving, of helping someone out, then the, the, you can put these monitors on and, and your body feels good. The cells are firing in a positive fashion. Charlie, I'm, I'm tempted to ask you to, to give a little bit of background about yourself. And I say that because although we have a strong following, the show continues to expand and people still might not know you. And But the temptation is, if I ask you to go back to your Hamden, when you mentioned Hamden, your, your Hamden days uh, on the protective services, and you're, and you're currently working for the federal government and, and, your, and your involvement with with, uh, with hang time, we might have 50 minutes, but do you have a, a Reader's Digest, uh, a, f- a five minute kind of uh, overview of who, who Charlie Charlie Grady is? And I, I can even tease you a little further. I want you to also mention, uh, not really a tease, but I want you to mention that that your father, you know, you did not fall far from the from the tree. So again, we have, give, give me like a three, three or four minutes, if you would, uh, yeah. about who Charlie Grady is at this point in time in, in, in his young age. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's hard to do in three four minutes, but I'm going to give it to you right here. So, um, was became a police officer in Hamden in 1982. I come from a long background of law enforcement. My father, as you mentioned, was a New Haven uh, sort of groundbreaking uh, police mm-hmm. officer in the New Haven community back when ri- rising through the ranks was very difficult to do, mm-hmm. and he was, he was one of the very few who rose to the rank of uh, deputy chief. Uh, and captain um, in the uh, in the New Haven Police Department. So coming from a, a law enforcement background, I swore I wasn't going to be in law enforcement, but uh, it was basically what I knew from my childhood growing up. It was it was it had already seeped into who I was. Mm-hmm. Community service, and again, growing up around uh, five uncles who were who were police officers and doing a lot in the community, it just came naturally to me because I watched and I emulated what what I saw happening. And my mother was also a very, very active community public servant. So in 82, I became a police officer, basically on a dare from one of my friends. And uh, he said, I think you'd be a good cop. And I said, ah, you know, I don't want to be a cop. Everybody's a cop. Uh, but then I took the job and, uh, I, I, you know, it was life altering, obviously changed me. Um, I was one of three police officers in Hamden at the time. And Hamden at that time was- One of three was, black, black police officers. Yeah, there was only mm-hmm. three black police officers at the time. And I was the youngest and the, and the most arrogant one because, you know, I was young. And you just, <laughs> you know, that's just how you are when you're young. And uh, so I wasn't well liked by a lot of the, uh, the, the white officers. Um, we were in a real flux at that time. You know, in the early 80s, uh, law enforcement was very, very um, uh, overly biased, um, really aggressive. And uh, clearly, uh, there was a major, major undertones of racism within law enforcement. Um, and a, and a, a department as small as Hamden, uh, we, we had a lot of those officers. We had some fantastic officers that I learned a lot from. But we had some of those officers who um, today would be considered the George, uh, the uh, Derek Chauvins. 
But I did that for 21 years. I was assigned to multiple task force. Um, mm -hmm. So people that know that cops get assigned to various federal task force and state task force. So at one point in my career, 1987 uh, through 2002, uh, I was assigned to the uh, Hamden Narcotics Unit. I was assigned to the Connecticut State Police Narcotics Unit. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was assigned to the FBI uh, Task Force, Joint Task Force with DEA. I was assigned to U.S. Marshals, uh, and I also um, would would periodically work with the uh, New Haven Gang Task Force at the, mm -hmm. at the same time. So mm -hmm. uh, I had some incredible experiences and exposure to all levels of law enforcement. And I, mm -hmm. basically, I think that's that's the, the big takeaway from who Charlie Grady is: is that uh, I have had multiple, multiple layers of exposure and experience to state, local, and federal law enforcement um, through all the statutes, through all the rules, through all the uh, policies and procedures I've worked and have grown and learned so much so that when I retired in 2002 from Hamden, I went to work in private industry and I utilized all of that uh, experience mm -hmm. all over the place. I traveled the country for Fortune 500 company doing investigations all over the country. Uh, but I knew how to, how to work the systems because I ha had that experience from Connecticut. Uh, then in 2010, uh, at the end of 2009, I get a, a phone call from, state, uh, from the uh, US Attorney's Office saying they were looking to hire someone to come in as an in-house investigator. They wanted me to apply. I applied, I took that position. I worked in that position here in New Haven for six years mm -hmm. while in that position at the U.S. Attorney's Office. And again, when I talk about these things, I have to also say that I was the first in, in, in many of these things. I was the first black motorcycle police officer in Hamden's history. Uh, I was the first in-house in investigator hired uh, at the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, and then I became the first police retired police officer to run a anti-gun, anti-gang homicide strategy uh, in New Haven, uh, partnered with John Jay University and University of New Haven. Mm -hmm. uh, I ran that program in Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. And I, I ran that program in Bridgeport because I'm from New Haven and I really wanted a challenge. Um, so I went to Bridgeport and ran that program for six years. Uh, at the end of that six years, I created a program called Hang Time 2014. Mm -hmm. I, I created a program called Hang Time, and it was born because there was a lot of um, gaps that needed to be filled. Mm -hmm. Individuals coming home from incarceration. Now, keep in mind, I spent a lot of my career, I, I wear two different hats. I, I, I spent a lot of my career putting people in, in behind bars that deserve to be behind bars because of their criminal activity, um, because of what they were doing to sort of poison our communities. Most of my work was done in drug-related um, uh, cases, as well as homicide related to drugs. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I had a, a long history of working in that field. And then at the same time, in 1987 or 1993, I started a youth program mm. uh, called called Highwood Youth Association for, uh -huh. for single moms who were raising sons specifically uh, without a, a dad influence. And we gave them uh, a place to go and belong and, mm -hmm. and to have positive uh, in, influence by male community members, female community members. It was amazing. And that's where I first got the bug and realized that I have to use my position in my mm -hmm. station 
mm. for something more than just incarcerating those people. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I fully understand because I have family members who struggled with addictions and had, you know, all kinds of issues, you know, PTSD from, from incarceration. So I never looked at it as a us versus them. So mm-hmm. at every time I got a chance to work with people that were coming home from incarceration, even back then, yeah. I, t- I took that opportunity. So again, back to where I left off, I get a phone call in, in 2015 from a very tall guy that worked at the FBI named James Comey. And uh, I was told that they six, six, me, six, seven, six, eight, right? He was, yeah, yeah, he's six, yeah. eight. And they wanted me to apply for a new position as the community outreach specialist for uh, the state of Connecticut FBI. Now, mm-hmm. that position was only new here. It had been established in other areas of the country, but Connecticut had never had its own community outreach person that also handled media issues. Mm-hmm. I, I applied for that job. I got that job. That's the job that I hold now. I I got lifted from doing two jobs for one pay. <laughs> and now, now I'm just the public affairs specialist and I oversee all of the stuff related to uh, media and uh, however, however it relates to community outreach as well. So uh, my, my history is long. There's a lot to, to there, but uh, throughout my entire history, I have always balanced my life and, uh, and have been empathetic towards those individuals who are disenfranchised or disadvantaged, even in, even in the midst of doing the work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that would help to incarcerate people at times. Um, I also saw there was flaws. And that's, again, how, how hang time was born, because I realized that guys coming home, women coming home from incarceration didn't really have a lot of access to things. Mm-hmm. And as much, as much as there's this, hey, you know, we need to help people reintegrate back into society, the doors were closing in their face quicker than a hurry up because Indeed. they had this scarlet letter. And, uh, and so bottom line is uh, I made a safe place for them to go and hang out. And literally I've had since 2014, with the exception of the COVID year, 2020, uh, in early 2021, we've had, on average, 25 to 55 people in our hang time session in Bridgeport every mm-hmm. single Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Every single Tuesday, we've expanded to Waterbury. We've expanded mm-hmm. okay. to New Haven. We've expanded soon again to Hartford. We started mm-hmm. in Hartford just before COVID hit, and then COVID sort of ruined our funding, so we're gonna have to relaunch in Hartford very soon. Um, the program has been going phenomenal. I have a huge, incredible staff. Shout out to the staff of, of Hurtman and the Connecticut Hall of Change. These are incredible people that come and do the work that they do for almost nothing. Um, but the more money we raise, the more money I give to them. I take about a dime. Yeah, yeah. I'm from it. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, we're going to talk about the where you're going for the future, too, because although it's just been a few short years, what you've accomplished so far is tremendous. But it just really it dawns on me that you're going to really be having greater impact, as you alluded to, in terms of the statewide. And, and Charlie, I, I, I don't want to go to the, the your 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 Yale Law School uh, involvement. That su- summer program is so important, just for people to see how creative you've been. But let's, if we can just circle back to 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 your uh, Hall of Fame event. And I, I think last year, one of our uh, radio hosts on 103.5 FM WNH, I think Babs Rawls Ivy, I think, was one of your. Your, your honorees last year. Is that, is that correct? Absolutely. 2021, the infamous, the famous Bab Grawls. <laughs> I was inducted. He was inducted in 2020. 20, 20, okay. Okay. 
a part of the original Hall of Change, uh, along with another New Haven icon, uh, Juan Castillo. Oh, good, great. And and Juan, Juan has told his story, but he, we're not going to tell it now because similar to yourself, I, although I, I want the re, our listeners and viewers to know, although I said four or five minutes, Charlie kind of wrote redefine what four to five minutes means. But I didn't want to I didn't want to interrupt you because it's so important because your 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 story in itself that journey really should become a book and a movie. But we'll get to that also a little a little, a little later. Uh, but do you recall? Uh, so some of this, should we give a shout out to some of the folks in this most recent, the, the names of some of the folks in this most recent class? Absolutely. So uh, what I'll tell you is that the most recent class consists of some incredible folks, Manya Saunders from New Haven. Um, she was inducted into the Connecticut Hall of Change on September uh, 11th. Also a young man out of uh, Torrington, uh, Vernon, one of those uh, up way up in the corner there by the name of Craig Wright. He owns Craig's uh, restaurant, Craig's Country Soul Food mm -hmm. Kitchen. Um, also, Miss Rebecca Allen, uh, who mm -hmm. works in recovery uh, all over the state through CCAR. Um, Mr. Gordon W. Lyde, who's also a native of New Haven oh, originally. Yes, yes. Um, he, Brookside, uh, I'm sorry, Rockview. Um, and then uh, we had uh, the 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 incredibly well-known in, in Fairfield County, Roland Whitley. Uh, mm -hmm. He's also a part of that. Uh, and we had Mr. Dan Varley, mm -hmm. uh, who works in recovery work as well. These are some incredible people that are doing awesome things. And lastly, we had uh, Dawn Grant Lockley, who's from New Haven as well, works in New Haven, and Edward uh, Andrews, who, who works out of Hartford. Uh, and all of these folks were formerly incarcerated and have come home and have done incredible things to help uplift their mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. and they're being recognized. We get their names from nominations from people in the community. We don't go out and mm. find these people. Mm. They, they are given to us. And I, I believe next year, uh, I just got a little peek inside to some of the nominations that are mm -hmm. coming. Yeah. You're, gonna be, you're gonna be blown away by some of the people that are coming on next year. It, it's, it's incredible. Each year, it just gets better and better. And these folks go out into the community on behalf of the Connecticut Hall of Change and they speak and we have a speakers bureau set up where they go to different hmm. functions and they talk about their experiences. And then in 2019, we did an entire stage production called oh, that's right. yes. The Journey to the Great Eight. And it, mm -hmm. premiered, it premiered at the Legacy Theater in Brantford to uh, a sold out house. And uh, it was absolutely incredible to watch these stories unfold and what we did I used my own creative mind to take their stories and intertwine their stories, um, sort of like uh, that that old show um, that was on Broadway, on Broadway for uh, Vagina Monologues. Mm -hmm. where they tell their stories, but there's a link between each story as it, yes. as it moves forward. And the, the messaging is very powerful. So we're bringing that back uh, in the spring of 2023. We're going to bring that back. It's going to be up at the, uh, Infinity Hall in Hartford. Mm -hmm. and the University of Connecticut is going to be one of our, our sponsors for that program. And Charlie, just before we go to your, 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 cause you, you've also had that collaboration with uh, Steve, with Steve Driffin, yes. uh, but, but for folks to get in touch with you or hang time or want to volunteer their time or their talent or their interest, or even there, I'm, I'm sure you accept checks from time to time or, oh, or, yeah, yeah. or, or, or WhatsApp. So how do people kind of reach out that they want to support you? Cause everything you mentioned really is so holistic and, and yeah. affects all of us. Yeah, it does. So um, our website is hangtimerealtalk 
realtalk.com. One word, hangtimerealtalk.com. There's a donate button there, but I, I encourage people to go out and look at some of the history and some of the things that we've been doing. Uh, this is just sort of, like you said, a Reader's Digest version of what we've been doing. We take people from Bridgeport, Hartford, Waterbury, and we go on educational trips. We take them hmm. to, we've been to DC, we've been to uh, Philly, all the historic points uh, in, in along the East Coast, we, we travel as a family on a bus mm-hmm. and we go, and the education is incredible. What happens, it's transformative for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. So hangtimerealtalk.com, also cthalloofchange, one word, dot org. Uh, you can go there and learn more about the Hall of Change. Um, but we, we take donations and we are right now using the United Way of Coastal Fairfield County as our fiduciary. Good. And, um, so the money will be donated and set aside for all things hang time, her time, or, or choices, or Connecticut Hall of Change. So, please, you know, go on to those websites. You'll see it. Uh, I'm also going to, after this call, Tom, I'm going to send you a QR code for folks that they Perfect. can utilize and, uh, and, and people can get involved. And we encourage everyone if you're available on a Tuesday from six to eight and you're in Bridgeport, stop in 2470 uh, Fairfield Avenue, the Borough Center. Uh, we have a hang time session there every other Thursday at 77 Bishop Street in Waterbury. That's every other Thursday, 77 Bishop Street in Waterbury. And uh, we we go from six to eight there as well. Mm-hmm. And there are, people, there are people from the community, church, church going folks, as well as uh, off-duty police officers, prosecutors, um, folks coming home from incarceration, some of them still wearing bracelets. We all fellowship. We all come together. We break bread and we get in the most intense conversations and uplifting um, and, and just eye-opening experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. Just, just recently, we did one that was just, it was a social experiment that I wanted to do. And everybody walked out of the, the room going, wow, I had no idea that I was so narrow-minded until we did it. And what I did was, well, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what I did because then it'll ruin it for the next group that we did. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Uh, so stay tuned, as they say, or, or, or come back for the next performance, which which leads me, Charlie, I want to take a little, a little diversion. And I certainly want to talk about, because, uh, you know, not necessarily competitiveness and not necessarily fighting for dollars, but there is a, a 501c3 landscape and you've been na- able to navigate that and, and, and uh, you know, express your authenticity in, in so many ways. But I wanted to give you a chance to chat about, because I, uh, about your, your, your drama, your fashion, your, your involvement there. And I share that for people to know that every, whether you think you're a Renaissance man or a Renaissance wo- woman, there's so many gifts that sometimes we only explore as we kind of make this life journey and I'm really intrigued about your uh, your involvement with 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 theater and and film and and acting and, and fashion yeah I, I, I'll tell you you know it's so funny because at, at this station in my life I sort of forget about some some of the accomplishments along the way so I come from a very creative background I taught myself how to play the drums at 14 I played with some of the greatest uh, musicians in the world uh, everyone from Nelson Rangel jazz artists, Marion Meadows, Ron Lawrence, God rest his soul, Jay Rowe. Uh, I've played with, with some of the greatest musicians in the world. I was self-taught. I taught myself how to play the drums in the basement watching Don Kirshner's rock concert <laughs> in that show. But uh, clearly there was some, some, some natural ability God gifted, uh, given mm. uh, 
uh, ability, especially for the independent syncopation and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I, I always credit my mother because mm. my mother, you know, like most mothers, yeah, baby, you can do it. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, that's how she was. But she took it to a whole different level where um, sometimes parents, sometimes parents hurt their kids by telling them, you know, you're five, five, but you could be the center for the Knicks. <laughs> no, 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 you can't. Right? But what would happen was whatever I engaged in, my mother was my biggest supporter mm. and uh, always kept it real with me. Always mm -hmm. told me you could do better or not. You're not that good at that. You might want to leave that one alone. Mm. And I, I really encourage parents to, to, to strengthen those things in their children um, that, that they're great at. So mm -hmm. my father also, and I tell people, I tell young people all the, all the time, because today at three o'clock, I'll be at Capitol Prep talking to mm -hmm. the there through our choices program. And I encourage all of them to actually do more than just one thing in your life. Mm -hmm. and the reason is the enrichment you get and the fulfillment you get by not being pigeonholed into one, one box uh, and people sometimes I, I sense people get frustrated, you know, about what I do because they go, oh, he's he's that cop. Oh, wait, no, no. He's that guy that writes plays. Oh, wait, wait. But I saw him on Law and Order. Or Law and, Order. And, and so people want to be able to put you in, you know, mm -hmm. that's who he is. That's who they are. Mm -hmm. I've never been defined by a job. I've mm -hmm. never been defined by a skill set. And I, I encourage people to go out and do more. Do mm -hmm. what you like to do, whether you're great at it or not. But you will find when you're great at something, you'll rise to the top. Mm -hmm. So to your point, um, I started out in, in, in acting because I was a drummer. And at, back then, Eddie Murphy was on the scene and he was just brand new doing films and so forth. You look like Eddie Murphy. And I was like, no, I don't. They, hey, you look like right? So my buddy said, let me take some pictures of you. We'll send them on to a couple of casting agents. We'll see if you get some attention. And lo and behold, Within two weeks, um, I got calls from video casting agents for Freddie Jackson videos, for uh, Surface videos, for Nas videos. Mm. Then I got the bug and I started, you know, auditioning for films and television. Mm -hmm. and, and and the craziest stories, I, I've been in a bunch of television series. You know, House of Buggin used to be a show a long time ago with Jeff, John Leguizamo. I was on there as a as a regular, you know, sort of uh, ensemble cast member. Um, been on a bunch of TV shows, Law and Order, Guiding Light, All My Children. Um, I, I, you know, I, I've had small bit parts and mostly extra parts early on in my career. And then I started doing a lot of film work and I've done a lot of independent feature films with some of the biggest names out there. Uh, everybody from, from Busta Rhymes to, uh, uh, to, to Robert De Niro. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've met, I met Denzel Washington. I've met you name it, I've met them through mm -hmm. through through this work. I did a film with uh, Lawrence Fishburne and uh, uh, Kevin Bacon and mm. uh, Mystic River, and mm -hmm. that was one of my greatest experiences. Yeah, yeah. Directed by uh, directed by uh, Clint Eastwood, which was mm. just incredible, just incredible. Mm. But long story short, is I I I stretched out and and did the things that interest me. Um, and I never wanted to be a full-time actor, but I also did enjoy learning the business. Yes. So in doing those television shows and doing those independent films, I was a student of the art behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Mm -hmm. So I learned, I learned, and I wrote my first screenplay and literally got attention from some of the greatest Hollywood uh, writers and film directors. Um, and I'm still waiting for the money to come through so we can shoot. But uh, right, I've got right, a, right, right. Now, right now I've got about 
seven or eight uh, full-end feature films, and I'm working on some uh, series. Uh, Excellent. Like Excellent. Netflix. Excellent. And uh, I do the stage plays, social justice plays is my is my niche. I really enjoy that. I called up my good friend Steve Driffin. I said, Steve, I want you to work with me on something. Now, Steve, you know, he has a long history of, of theater, and uh, he's a very creative guy. I said, I want you to work with me on something. And I, and I don't, he didn't know that I was already doing a lot of that stuff yeah. on my own. He, he basically had the idea like, okay, here comes a cop thinking he's going to, yeah. you know, this arena, but he didn't really know, no. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when, when he sat, when we sat down and I showed him what I wanted to do and he's like, oh, wow. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is it. So, mm -hmm. so we, we've done uh, two shows together. Uh, the first one was Her Time, which premiered at the Klein Theater. Yeah. That show was amazing. Uh, we had an incredible cast, all right here from Connecticut. Uh, it was a full, full two-act uh, play that uh, we had over 900 people mm. in two days to come through the Klein Theater and see that show. And then the second follow-up for Steve and I was the uh, uh, Jamal. It was about a young guy from Hartford who uh, wanted to be an equestrian therapist. Uh, he grew mm -hmm. up in the hood, and uh, he, his way out of the hood was to to get education and become an equestrian therapist to help others deal with the PTSD of gunshots in their community and so forth. So, uh, you know, Steve's doing his own thing on the other side. Hopefully at some point we'll come back together and right. do another, another project. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm working with a bunch of other people. I have two new ones in the hopper right now. One is it, Tom, this is, this is going to blow your mind. I'm writing, I'm writing a stage play about an Italian woman from her perspective about racism and uh, she helps to solve a crime. Mm. I, I don't want to give too much away. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. And she grows and she, and she learns in the process uh, where she's been going wrong in her life. Mm. And so, mm. so uh, Charlene, let, let, let's elaborate on that point. We have about 10, 10 more minutes and there's, it just dawns on me that we're gonna definitely have to talk, talk again. Uh, I want to ask you a question about your the summer program for the young people, but before I do, just on the thought you just mentioned, uh, the, the the psychology of life. What stories are you hearing, given your your, your background from your your parental involvement and and the and the, the hand and youth information, uh, working with let, let's, in in the big house, literally in 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 the, in the big the big White House, the, several of the big White Houses. What, what's and then just hearing the stories from the folks that have come through the. The, the justice system. What is is there one or is there, what are some of the key themes that you're hearing about why people might be why why the pitfalls might be uh, grasping them or how or why they haven't been able to avoid pit, pit, pitfalls? But I guess I'm trying to ask your your uh, philosophical outlook on what this this human species is about about how we survive and thrive. I know it's kind of a really a broad based question, but no, no, no. It's it's a, it's a great question, Tom, because. I can actually point to a couple of things. Um, and from my perspective and my life lived experience in 40 years in law enforcement now, uh, in and around it, um, I can tell you that the greatest challenge that human beings face day in and day out is depression and mm. mental illness. Mm. Depression and mental illness mm. based on environmental PTSD. Mm. I just said a whole lot of words, but I'm gonna break it down for the reality check. A good friend of mine, Dr. Misa Akbar and I, we've had mm -hmm. these discussions. We've had discussions at nauseum about how do we end up breaking the cycle when people don't even recognize that they are broken. Mm. There are so many people that don't recognize that the way they process things is not societal norm. 
and mm. it's, not, it's not ever going to be accepted. Um, I, I tell you, the, the, the levels of, of dysfunction in the household leads to so many things. Mm. Now, I, I'm not talking about old school mom, dad sitting down at the dinner table every night going to church on every Sunday. That's not necessarily the norm. That's not necessarily what has to happen. But what does have to happen that's not happening is when traumatic things happen in, in a person's life at a young age, it has to be addressed and dealt with. Mm. And if, it, if it's not addressed and dealt with, then that person grows sort of, it's like, a, it's like a tree. If you don't straighten that tree up as it's young, it's gonna grow crooked. So you have to see mm. it. So what I, what I see all the time in urban communities, as well as suburbia, Tom, mm -hmm. people don't talk about the suburban breakdown of the family just as much as we see it in the urban communities. Mm. There are so many in, in, the, in the suburban areas, Guilford, you know, New Canaan, Brantford, you know, their families are breaking up just like everybody else's families because there's financial struggles, there's mental health struggles, there's, uh, you name it, businesses going under the whole thing. So I think to your question, I see and sense the reason I want to speak out and do social justice plays is to raise awareness and, and put mm. a, a mirror in front of people's eyes mm -hmm. and, say, and say, this is how we live today. How are we expected to survive and move forward if we continuously don't have a fact-based truth? Mm -hmm. so today, but, we, we're, we live in a society where everybody has their own truth. But, but, but you're not walking, people don't walk away from your plays feeling downtrodden. I, I, no. I, so, no. so elaborate on that, and then I want to definitely jump on the... Yeah. the no, the, so the, the, the idea thing. is, um, again, built into my shows, into my mm -hmm. plays, is here's the problem. This is the challenges with the problem. And I build in the solutions to the problem mm -hmm. so that at the end, you've been on a journey that shows, hey, this was the issue. And that resonates with people sitting in the audience. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you on her time to play, that we did it, it's about a woman coming home from incarceration after 40 years. She went to jail at 18 years old. And when she came home, society had passed her by. She didn't know her kids anymore. The family had cut her off. So it was all about real life struggles that I work with every day. Mm -hmm. So I take real life situations and I put them on the stage for the world to see. Mm -hmm. And so at the at the midpoint of the of the of the performance, I insert the solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. So now here's how this can be handled and should be handled. And we end up with a decent result at the end. But there is some hardship along the way. You know, yes. there's, there's a murder that happens because this is real life. So, so I really, really stress that we need to address the, the, the human interaction more. We need to have greater respect, not just for each other, but for ourselves. Hmm. There are so many people that fail to recognize or turn a blind eye to their faults because it's easier to do and as a result you become angrier you become more isolated and then you go into walmart you go to the gas station you want to fight with somebody that that walked by you and looked at you i can't get over today i walked into a subway not this today but just recently i walked to a subway and this young kid he couldn't have been more than 22 years old behind the counter he wanted to fight me because i was wearing a suit this is this is not an exaggeration, Tom. He looked at me. He started mumbling. Oh, because you're wearing a suit. You think I, 
I didn't say a word to this kid. But this is what I'm talking about. Mm. This kid is absolutely hurting inside. He mm. has issues. For him to take a look at me and go, oh, you, you, you know, you think you're all that. He's mumbling under his breath. And I'm, and I'm looking at him in disbelief. And he says, you know, I don't have to bring you out. You know, come in here, look at At first, I thought he was kidding. And so there's clearly something wrong with this individual that everybody around him knows. And nobody's helping. That's mm. the part that bothers me. Mm. 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 I guess on, on the flip side, chat, Charlie, if you would about let's go to the summer i do want to come back to the transparency and authenticity and the, and the deniers and people not really pursuing truth but do you have a your summer program is going to continue with the, the leo yeah. law school that's upcoming share with yeah. that because i want people to see how uh, strategically you've been in planning the shows your your work with the fbi your community relations uh and then just reach and just reaching those the, the young people in terms of their career path and and lo- yeah. knowing how the system kind of can cannot uh, trample them, but how it can lift them up. So if they, uh, if they play the right cards. Yeah. So your, your, your verbiage is absolutely spot on uh, strategic. Everything I do, I try to be strategic about it uh, with a, with a goal of what's the, what's the outcome going to be. So we are always talking about uh, youth today and how misguided some of them are and, you know, the millennials, this and that sort of thing. Well, it's incumbent upon us to help shape the way those people grow. We listen to them, we respect them, but we also have to give them uh, the space to learn that not just, hey, I said it, it's so because I said it and I'm older than you, that doesn't work. You have to prove up that you know what I'm talking about to young people today. And I don't have a problem doing that at all. I don't have a problem proving to young people I know what I'm talking about, know where I've been from, but sometimes sometimes adults, uh, their egos, uh, Mm. they can't can't check their egos and they, they feel some kind of way about it. Right? So the FLEA program, Future Law Enforcement Youth Academy, is a program that I started uh, with Chief Higgins at the time of YLPD. And it was uh, this grandiose idea that I had where I could bring all my worlds together. Mm-hmm. through So I can bring in you know, theater and I can bring in you know, legal and law enforcement and I can bring in how to structure your future with whatever career you choose, I'm gonna give you exposure to all different types of careers mm-hmm. and help you decide which way you wanna go. And when you make that decision at 16, 18 years old, doesn't mean you have to live with that decision forever. We're gonna be here when you wanna come back. So we have an alumni association where mm-hmm. we talk about these things. So what it is is uh, students 16 through 18 years of age apply to be in this program called Future Law Enforcement Youth Academy, AKA FLEA. They sleep on campus at Yale University for a full week. Um, and they get classes from the FBI, the DEA, all of the alphabet federal agencies, um, IRS, you name it. They get exposure to careers that they never knew existed, mm. federal probation. And we, we intentionally take 15 males and 15 females uh, that apply that have to go through a three-step process. They have to do an essay explaining why they want to be a part of this camp. They also have to uh, include um, fidelity, bravery, and integrity in this essay. Mm. The FBI stands for fidelity, bravery, and integrity, as well as Federal Bureau of Investigation. Mm. So they have to they have to incorporate that, and they have to impress us with what they've done to become a well-rounded individual. Because as you and I know, Tom, and anyone listening, law enforcement needs people who are more well-rounded. 
You mm. cannot have uh, one-dimensional thinkers in law enforcement. Those mm. days are long gone because exposure to different cultures and ethnicities is, is growing every day. And so you need to have people who have a sense of respect for differences and are willing to, to be able to work with that. So we are, in essence, to coin the phrase from Chief Higgins at the time, he said, we're growing our own. So mm. what we're doing is we're bringing them in and exposing them to everything and then helping them shape the, the career path that they want to go down. But here's the key. We have made it a point to make the 15 boys and 15 girls as culturally, ethnically, religiously, gender diverse as we possibly can. Mm. That's our number mm. one mission. So mm -hmm. we will take someone who lives in inner city Bridgeport and partner that person with someone who lives uh, in, in, a, in a lily white community in you know um, Chester, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, will be, they will be roommates mm. at, at, at the camp. They're up at five in the morning and they work out together. They have to look out for each other's little paramilitary type feel just to give them some structure. And their day starts at five in the morning with the run. They end their run, they come back, they go through classes. And then we have enrichment uh, activities where we give them actual exposure to uh, a federal court. We give them a mock court scene mm. where they become mm. prosecutors and defense attorneys. Mm. It's, it's, it's amazing. Then we take them uh, to, to University of New Haven where Dr. Henry Lee teaches, teaches them a class on forensics. Mm. Uh, so we, yeah, we give them exposure to so much. At the end of that week, when they have a graduation, full pomp and circumstances, it's amazing. They don't want to leave. They're mm -hmm. hugging and kissing and snotting and, oh, my brother, my bestie. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done now, I want you to stop and just think about this, and then I'll stop here. What we've done is we've brought these young people together who have different backgrounds, different goals in their career, but now they have resources in different universities, in different careers. So right now we're starting to see the fruits of our labor. We're mm. getting, right, we have four individuals that came through our program that now work at the FBI. Mm, mm. Right? They started with us at 16. Mm. They're now 22 years old, graduated college, and they work at the FBI. Mm. That's what you call growing your own. Mm -hmm. And then those individuals who didn't want to choose to work at the FBI, some of them went to work at IRS. One of them works at the CIA. Two of them, are, uh, uh, one is a, a state trooper in Massachusetts. Another one's a, a police officer up in, uh, I think it's Manchester. I'm not sure. But what I'm saying to you is they have a network now. Mm -hmm. And they have a mutual respect because they went through a shared experience and they grew together. So and you mentioned the alumni club as well. Yes. And we do things every, every year we do a summer, we do a Yale Harvard football game or a Yale Princeton football game as a collective group. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have over 130 uh, alumni now. And so we do a, a, a summer thing and we do a holiday party mm. this year we're gonna do a holiday party where alumni come back from our first year 2016 right up to the good, most recent good yeah. good but well, we got to get them back because i had a chance as you know to chat with them a few, yes. about a year or so ago so we want got to get them back yeah. uh, but, but we have about five five more minutes so there's so much i still want to chat with you which which means to say that we're just we're going to just have to have you have you back soon or but yeah. tell us so you're, you mentioned that literally this afternoon friday afternoon you're, you're on your way up to hartford you mentioned was it the choice program? Yeah, so so I'm actually it's it's the uh, Capital Prep in Bridgeport. So Cap Capital, Capital Prep. Prep. Oh, okay, Bridgeport. I'm sorry. It exists in Hartford originally, also in Bridgeport, and also in Harlem, and uh, I think Brooklyn yeah. and the Bronx. 
C. Steve Perry's situation. Phenomenal school, phenomenal environment. Uh, We went and started our very first program um, back last summer with uh, Harding High School. Football coach at Harding said, some of my students on the team are slipping to the streets. Uh, who's got this one pregnant, who's got a bracelet on because they you know, got caught running around the streets. He says, I would like for people from hang time to come and talk to them, mm. uh, to show them and, and speak about the real life experience and the consequences of their actions. Um, so I took that as an opportunity because you know me, I'm a, yeah. creative, I'm, a, I'm a creative program out of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because it just, it resonated with me because I was a high school standout athlete mm-hmm. and so many high school standout athletes get lured back into the street for, mm. for a number of reasons, whether it be they have to be the father and the mother at home of their little sister while the mother works or the father's in cars, whatever the case is, so many of these potential athletes end up going to the streets, right? Yes. And so the people that come with me to speak to high school influential athletes are those people who did not follow their, their path that was laid out for them in academia and sports. So one of our one of our uh, co-founders of the program with me is Roland Whitley, who was a standout mm-hmm. football athlete in Bridgeport. So the idea is keeping him involved because he's from Bridgeport. So the truth about Bridgeport neighborhoods and and culture resonates through these youth because he can speak about growing up on on Pequonic and mm-hmm. and selling drugs over on on the east end or whatever the case may be that resonates with them and you could see the wheels turning like oh my god and he talks about how he would play football be scoring touchdowns and then take a shower and go out on the block and sell drugs Hmm. and then he ended up doing seven and nine years federal time as a result of the progression of because he always thought he was going to be smarter than the next guy and Hmm. not get caught but that will resonate and we've Hmm. seen it with some of the students there that are on the fence they're like yeah i gotta make some money at this When I tell you, Tom, this is probably one of the most impactful programs I've seen. Hmm. Along with FLEA, this Choices program for youth is amazing. And and it's not because it's my program that that I helped to build, but it's a concept that the kids relate to. And I'm bringing in real folks, real folks that they can relate to, that look like them, that sound like them, that talk Mm -hmm. like them, that walk their streets. And they can say, yo, you have an option. You can make choices. You wake up every day. And you get to make choices on who you're going to be. For for folks that are listening in or just might have been tuning in, let's kind of repeat, if we could, Charlie, how they can contact you about either the, the Fletcher's program or uh, Ang Time or Her Time or the upcoming yep. events and how they can hit that donate that, that donate button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That donate button helps because uh, we do not take, um, at this point in, in, in our program, we don't take federal grant money. We don't take a lot of uh, city funding because... The red tape that's tied to a lot of that stuff uh, is is illogical. It doesn't actually allow us to function, to help people in an immediate situation as we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, and I'll just use the example of two on one. Great concept, um, but flooded, and uh, not really working to the best of its design. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about that when I get private funding and donations from people who care. Um, if I need to move somebody in emergency housing. I go to the pot and I get money immediately. Mm-hmm. I don't have to wait three weeks. I don't have to wait four weeks to register, to sign up and all this other nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but that's why we, we have to constantly do fundraisers and stuff like that because we need to have untethered funding to actually do the things. I mean, we've done everything through hang time and her time to help someone buy a car. 
But these mm-hmm. are people that are engaged, and I don't want to give the wrong impression. You don't just come to hang time and get money, you know, and, right. and to, to work. Um, these are people that are engaged in our programs and that have been with us and, and working with us to help bring the community together. So you can reach us at hangtimerealtalk.com, hangtimerealtalk.com, one word, or CT Hall of Change, one word, dot org. And um, you will find all of our programming information under both of those. And hopefully, uh, you'll, you'll find that donate button too and uh, help us to continue. We have, we have one more minute. And then again, I've repeated this maybe four or five times, but we're, you are publicly obligated to come back in 2023 and bring, bring some of your crew with you. We have about 30 seconds, uh, Charlie. So I want to give you the, the, the last word again. I definitely want to, want to thank you. Uh, what's on your heart and mind and spirit at the moment? Well, uh, Tom, I appreciate you so much. And what's on my heart and, and, and mind right now is um, we need to do things collectively. Everybody is working in silos. And I understand why, because there's a lot of money that's out there that's put on the table. And people who would normally be partners have to now compete for that money on the table for their 501s and so forth. Let's not be duplicit in the work mm-hmm. that we do in the communities. Let's come together. I, I say it now, hang time, her time, hall of change. We work with other organizations that are willing to work with us. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. If you're already doing that work, I'm willing to work with you. If we're doing something that you're not doing, let's come together and stop everybody feeling like they have to be, oh, I got my own 501c3, you know, you know, stop it. Excellent, excellent. Until, ne- until the next time, Charlie, thank you so much for your heart and the soul. Really appreciate it. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give up, give up, fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Yeah, this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go them storms now you gon' face the dawn you waiting for i said from night to dawn i write my wrongs alone in competition with warnings ice galore now i'm running toward them my lights i'm finished being a quitter but little little by little they joking telling some riddles now i'm in my section ain't willing to give up know you getting knocked down but you gotta get up i'm never gonna give up give up fall down i just gotta get up get up